welcome to the Ask Me podcast. I'm your host, James Smirthwaite. We're going to be moving on to the next series of podcasts talking about net zero carbon in the UK and the various different sectors that we work in. I'm joined today by my co-hosts, Tom Hall, Kevin Pocock and Daniel Smith from Mitsubishi Electric in the UK. And we're just going to kind of chew the fat bit today and talk about the different ways that the UK and globally we're trying to achieve net zero targets and reduce general carbon um, globally. So welcome, guys. Thank you, James. Nice to be here. Jimbo, how are you, sir? Not too bad. Kev? Hi, James. I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Very well. Um, So really, uh, the first question we wanted to ask is, what is net zero carbon? I'm going to throw that right out there and see who's going to come back and answer that one. Net zero carbon. Um, Net zero carbon um, is when a building um, balances the amount of emissions that it makes with its offsets. So uh, a good example of that is, say, a building produces one tonne of carbon per year, which is really low. I don't know why I use that figure. Um, they they mitigate it or offset it um, by maybe planting a tree that could offset that amount of carbon as well. Um, it's completely different. Net zero carbon is completely different to zero carbon because zero carbon means the building doesn't produce any emissions. Which, in reality, there aren't going to be any buildings at all or anything in globally that's going to produce zero carbon. Everything's got carbon embodied in it. So the reality is, I guess, that you've got to try and, like you said, balance that against doing something else that actually either removes carbon out of the atmosphere or uses a lot less so you're kind of constantly trying to get that kind of neutral zero point yeah yeah you're spot on mate and and that's what a lot of um, businesses are now looking at they've they've all starting to set net zero goals and i think one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is we're getting asked so much by so many people how we can help and i'm sort of really looking forward to the series because it's going to be good to um, explore the subject with various different experts in the field yeah, so to, probably to explain a bit about that, the series really is going to be looking at different sectors in the UK. So we might take, for instance, um, retail or we might look at warehouse and logistics and look at the different challenges they've got in those sectors and how they're looking at overcoming their problems. So warehouse and logistics, obviously Dan's on today, specialised in that area. Things like hotels, Tom's you know, going to talk a little bit about what people are trying to do there. But I think something I've seen a lot in the media recently is to do with the net zero thing people are kind of trying to give net zero a, a, a bad name because there's a lot of businesses out there that are just looking at offsetting their carbon immediately rather than trying to reduce the amount of carbon they're using first and then doing that as a kind of final hurdle to overcome really so i'm really looking forward to kind of getting people's views on what they're actually doing and kind of the, the, the reduce first and then offsetting later on so i mean dan warehouse logistics <coughs> Just yeah, fine, James. And I think it's worth noting that you know businesses have to decide how their physical space supports not only their brand but their culture and now you know the operation. Um, and with warehouse and, and logistics, it's such a vast kind of wide infrastructure that they have to consider. It's not just the electrification of the building. It's the electrification of their fleet, their, their supply chain, all the associated office spaces. And some of these warehouses are, are looking at not just ambient cooling, it's chilled cooling at really low temperatures as well. So it's, it's, it's a huge challenge, but 
hopefully as we advance, um, we will have a product portfolio to, to help support these guys. So when you when you're talking about the chill cooling stuff, I guess that's like refrigerated warehouses. They they physically got to keep food and and medicine and all that kind of stuff at a particular temperature. That's going to use a lot of energy, exactly, and, and a lot of carbon. So I, I mean, in the data center market, which is something I look at quite regularly in manufacturing, I'm seeing announcements almost daily where businesses are pledging to use sustainable renewable energy sources to to power the whole of their their industry effectively. So. I've just seen recently today that um, Amazon, I think it was, or Microsoft, one of the two the big guys, are basically looking at ways that they can actually move data around the world to go to a particular data center that's using the most amount of renewable energy at that particular point, which is insane. Like, you know, so they're actually going to, something in Sweden, for instance, where they're doing some really green data centers over there, if there's a process that needs to be done or some big computing that needs to be done, they'll move the data over there to do it because it's much greener and, and much much better for the environment for them to do it, which is just, you know, it's awesome. They're, they're kind of thinking that far ahead. Does it not cost money to move data or cost energy to move data? Well, it's computing power, really. So there's, there's just servers sat somewhere, in, you know, in the world, and you can ask those particular servers to do that particular task for you. So the cloud is, you know, it is a, you know, it is a data center, but you can still move things around you know, to different data centers and to, you know, store things in different places. It's, it's physically possible to do that. So, you know, it's just a bit of forward thinking of, you know, ways of doing things. They realize that in certain parts of the world that they might be doing particular calculations or, or storing particular amounts of data that it might be carbon intensive to do it there. So they'll move it elsewhere to do it. So it's just, you know, quite forward thinking. I mean, these guys are Microsoft and, and um, Google and, you know, some of the real big players in the market are making some quite, kind of drastic carbon net zero carbon goals so it's it's good it's really good to see it happening but i mean really from your point of view tom i mean hotels i know they're just buildings but they're obviously used a lot by the public regularly so what are the what's the, what are they doing over there to try and overcome some of the issues and the challenges that are in place in the uk there's a few things but it's taking a long time i mean uh, what i've seen is the larger hotelier companies um looking at doing things but it takes them a lot longer to get going whereas a lot of the smaller independent hoteliers out there have can move they're a lot more agile in terms of decision making process and what they can achieve so some hoteliers are, are have already started on the journey of trying to be as, as green as possible and the good thing about what they're trying to do is not just from a decarbonization point of view so reducing the carbon used in generating the heating for the, for the hotel or the hot water or the cooling. But it's looking at how they source all their products within. So if they're looking at the soap that they use, the furniture that they use hasn't got any additives in it, hasn't got any toxins in it, any chemicals. So they're trying to make the hotel experience not just decarbonized, but also sustainable. And I think they both go hand in hand, which is, which is really good news. But it's going to take a lot of effort these hoteliers that use you know a lot of energy to make guests comfortable um and we're starting to see it we're starting to see people looking towards changing changing the the way that they use um natural gas to heat the hot water for the guests and the showers i also think there's a there's a part to play by all the people that visit the hotels in the past it was very much a case of you're at a hotel it didn't matter you've paid to be there you'll pay to use the water you'll pay to use the services and actually, you need to be as conscious 
at the hotel as you would be at home. So you're not running the shower five minutes before you get in. You're not leaving the tap on. It's a part that everyone has to play. And I think when hotels move into this this whole sustainable, decarbonised future, it's going to be great. It's going to be a very good story to tell. Legislation's driving that massively, isn't it? Really, I suppose. Obviously, in the UK, we're we're quite lucky in some sense. In that, you know, back in twenty nineteen, the UK pledged to be the first country globally to actually set a net zero target by twenty fifty, which is quite a fortunate position to be in. They probably pledged that and realised the challenge that's at hand. But I mean, you know, we 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 saw a month or so ago about the fact there's going to be no more um, fossil fuel powered cars, new vehicles being sold, new vehicles being sold after 2030 um that's a big pledge and i think there's more of those coming in yeah james i definitely think there'll be more it's 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 really interesting when you look at the actual figures um from the government website um actually 78 percent of the uk's carbon emissions comes from four key areas and one of them is transportation which is why you're seeing um cars electrifying you're seeing more i'm seeing so many testers on the road at the moment you've got companies like GridServe down in Essex that have started all electric forecourts. When you drive down the motorway now, you can stop and charge your car up at pretty much everywhere, which is which is really good. It's, it's transportation, the supply of energy, so we're seeing a lot more renewables being added onto the grid. Where I live on the coast, they've just put in a massive wind farm. Um, and then also businesses is, is one of the other four, which is the area that we deal with. And then the the last sector is heating homes. So we've obviously got our Ecodan brand and air source heat pumps to decarbonise domestic heating. So really out of the four, um, we can help with two, which is which is really good for us, I think. And, and well, it feel, feels like we've got a big part to play and we can have an impact, which, you know, it's nice being sat at home. And like Tom said about when you're in hotels and stuff, actually treating hotels like it's a home and trying to reduce the amount of energy you use and being a bit more carbon conscious with the products that you might buy or, you know, leaving lights on or heating on when you're not needing it and stuff like that but you know to be lucky enough to work for a manufacturer that's like you said involved with two of those areas and why in fact a manufacturer or a brand that's known for electric vehicles as well not that we're part of that but it just feels like we've we've got a bit of a responsibility to educate people on how they can use the products that we've got to help reduce their carbon in all these different sectors we're talking about. Yeah, I know in particular in the higher education sector, which is a sector I look after, they're really being driven by their students um, and also the fact that a lot of the departments in the universities are actually actively researching carbon reduction as well. And they often quite like to test the technologies on their universities and also universities by their nature, by their research um, and their forward thinkingness are often driving the change curve for, for, for renewables and decarbonisation. Um, so do you reckon if you're a student now then, Kev, I'm going to throw this question right out there at you, that if you were leaving secondary school and, and you were going to apply for a university, would that university's carbon goals or their plans or, or how carbon conscious they are right now have a bearing on whether or not you attended that particular campus? Put to be honest, spot. James, I'd be more concerned with the student union bar, but um, it would definitely, <laughs> I, I think that's the difference. The, the, the next generation after us are genuinely more concerned about it. 
and they've actually set up a website called People and Planet that ranks all the universities um, in terms of degrees. So they've, they've got first class honours for the top universities in environmental and they rank all of their sustainability plans and, and how they're set up um, sustainably. So, so students can actively have a look at that and, and are using that to not just choose their uni but also lobby their universities that they're already at to, to make more of a change. So your order of preference is bar, then, <laughs> then, then the amount of carbon that particular facility uses. But I, it always like you know when I went, when I went to, to uni, it was always about student experience and all that kind of stuff. And I think the tides have massively turned. I think everyone seems to be like you said, the younger generation is so much more conscious environmentally about what their impact is and how they can make the place better and and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's only going to be a good thing, isn't it? The next generation coming through are going to have a massive part to play you know with with the direction of the country and the breweries don't forget that the sooner they well, can decarbonize and provide everyone with this uh, low carbon beer the happier we'll all be well we know Brewdog. Brewdog abandon it around all over the place aren't they that they're the world's first carbon negative brewery so actually they're removing more carbon than they're actually producing so they're not just net zero they're they're kind of going above and beyond that with planting forests and and using all of their waste products doesn't it take like 10 years for a tree to grow to a certain stage before it starts removing the same volume as of carbon that it did throughout its entire life beforehand or is that just a misconception? yeah so so yeah so it's 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 10 years until the tree is actively removing carbon so if you're you know there's a lot of people out there you know we've explored it um sort of individually about planting trees and how that has an impact on your carbon and Actually, when you look at it, you don't start claiming carbon credits on that until after year seven or year eight, I think it is, because it's not actually mature enough to to do that particular task. But then the thing you've got to remember is that tree's then sat there for the next 80, 90, 100 years, removing that amount of carbon every single year. So the more people like Dog and other big businesses in the UK are reforesting the UK and South America and other rainforests and all that kind of stuff, that's kind of like a long-term plan, but it's still, it's a good thing but it's not an immediate, you know, it's not Absolutely. going to help the UK to immediately hit a net zero because obviously the UK have pledged that that net zero target by 2050. You know, they're going to have to do a lot lot more than that to, to get to that point. But, you know, going beyond the sectors we look at a bit, really, I, I don't want to kind of go into too much detail in them because obviously you want to leave that to people that are, that are living and breathing it every single day when we get them on as, you know, guests on the podcast. But Generally in homes, you know, this week as well, we've just seen the announcement come on BBC News about they're talking about banning fossil fuel um, boilers being sold into the UK after again after 2025. They're looking at that kind of timescale to 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 stop doing it. But I, you know, it's grand plans. I'm not too sure if they'll be a reality. But there's some fairly hefty hefty pledges they're looking at um, making in the UK to. I think it's great. Make some difference. I think it's great, and hopefully they'll change the way houses are, are built as well because. For so long, they've just been the same jelly mould type of construction. Um, fingers crossed, you know, this may spur the house builders on to create something that's going to be better than what we've had for the last 50 years. I think so. I mean, I'd, if you were building a new house now, I'd, I don't think I'd even think about putting gas into that particular building. You know, you've got to have electricity supply in there anyway. So why not utilise that and why not, you know, change to a... To a renewable energy provider, 
and then you've oh. got renewable energy to either put in a heat bump or you know if you if you don't want to go down that route you can still even if you just did electric immersion or or you know radiant panels or something like that at least you're still utilizing renewable energy to to heat your home or power your home but you'd wonder why with all the tech that's out there at the minute is a heat pump not on there with solar pv and a battery and and solar thermal that would all work and run off electricity to provide everything you need for your house yep. and then you provide the battery storage to to reduce peak load reduce the requirement for the grid provide power back into the grid when it's needed so you're moving more energy around rather than constantly creating it yeah no, I, th- I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think that's coming. It's it's just small steps, isn't it? It's the same, you know, in the UK with all these little increments they've made over the years, whether it's, you know, going from a, a pure electric vehicle to a to when the Prius came out, Toyota Prius came out as a hybrid. So, yeah, it, it is still a petrol car, but it's got a battery in it that recharges and off charges and, you know, it's slightly greener. And then it's easy then for people to say, well, I'm already driving, you know, a car that's partly electric. So I'm not too bothered about going all electric. So it's then taking that next step in the UK with, you know, gas boilers and coal fire and all that kind of stuff. It's just taking small steps and people getting used to it and thinking it's, you know, just normal. It's an easy change to make to flip to that particular technology. Dan, I was just wondering, actually, you monitor a lot of projects going on in the UK. I was just wondering if you've seen a move with the planning or with the types of like whether they're building more Briam buildings or anything like that have you noticed any trends from what you've been monitoring yeah definitely I think obviously Briam is a certification for, for kind of the, the, the excellence of the building and you, you're, you're seeing clients now striving for uh, Briam excellent Briam very good um, what what we are seeing at early stages is the opportunity to have a descriptive conversation around ideas, solutions, possible outcomes, rather than what was a prescriptive kind of dedicated conversation a lot further down, where it was, this is what's going to happen, um, and this is the only option that we've got. So we're seeing a real shift um, from, from clients and then further down the chain as well. You know, we've got main contractors that are pledging to be um, carbon neutral by, by 2030. Uh, you've got the big players in the game like Wilmot Dixon, Morgan Sindel, who are, who are making these huge pledges and, and parving a, a way to for others to follow, I suppose. But they've definitely got challenges within that built environment. And uh, I guess it's exploring those challenges, Kev, and, and how we can kind of assist. Are you sort of noticing any more sticks or like I know that, that a lot of companies are are basically uh, using like actively trying to use it as a, almost as a marketing tool really to make to make, make sure that they're they're achieving these net zero goals. But like the London plan, for example, like have, have you, is that starting to affect affect the planning in London? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. The way that the future of London and the future of London skyline is is completely changing, and these guys are having to shift to a more um, build back greener, as as the government has said. And there's there's a huge pledge and a huge not nine point two billion pound pledge. Is that right, guys? To build back greener, including the two pound uh, two two billion pound green homes grant. So that's that's just going to be legislation. It's just going to be the way that the, the future of, of how London looks and how the future of how the UK uh, building forecast will look as well. 
Yeah, I, I noticed last year when um, Rishi Sunak actually announced something called the Public Sector Decarbonisation Scheme. Um, they, they released a, a billion pounds worth of funding to decarbonise public sector buildings. Um, and especially uh, universities really, really jumped on that. And I, I think all it needs is a little bit of little bit of a nudge in terms of a little bit of extra funding and maybe a few more extra planning requirements and that will just be enough momentum to get that flywheel going and and hopefully we'll see a big improvement in future the appetite's there isn't it yeah for sure james it's, it's going to be interesting if we can get um, a main contractor on on the ask me podcast um to see what challenges they face I mean, I, I work quite closely with them and have done for the last three years whilst at Mitzi, so I've, I've got a good idea, but it'll be a good, good idea to, to get those guys on and see really the extent of what, they're, um, what the challenges that they're facing. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think, you know, what this series is probably going to open up is a load of areas that people are looking at reducing carbon that we just wouldn't have thought of. You know, it's, it, it's, there's a lot of simple ways of doing it, a lot of well-publicised ways of kind of removing it out of you know general buildings and using like we said renewable energy sources and all those kind of th things but there's so much more than that um i mean tom touched on some things kev's touched on some bits as well and you know talked about some bits in the data center market but um yeah i'm excited i'm excited and hopefully we'll be able to get sort of you know six seven eight um podcasts in the series booked in with some you know really interesting people some fairly um well-respected renowned people in in those different areas and you know, going forwards, see if we can get some some of those end clients on board, and also the people that are actually being tasked to um, help them realise their plans. Because it's what we're seeing a lot is people pledging, um, but actually the you know to actually hit these targets, these particular targets that they're pledging to hit, you know to be net zero by is is no mean feat. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm really really excited about it. Really excited about it, and um, I think we'll probably call it a day there, but. You know, guys, really, really appreciate you coming on today and just chewing the fat a bit and kind of setting the scene, really, for um, what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. But uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, James. Cheers, James. And we'll, um, we'll touch base again soon. Thank you for listening to the Ask Me podcast. If you'd like to find out any more details on the technologies we've been discussing today, you can visit our website at les.mitsubishielectric.co.uk. Thank you.